everybody. Welcome to this episode of Mind the Gap, making education work across the globe with me, Tom Sherrington and Emma Turner. Hello, Emma. Hello, Tom. I'm very excited because I've got a fantastic guest tonight. Oh, yeah. So we're both really thrilled to be talking this evening to Diana Osagi, who is a bit of a legend in the school leadership world, uh, really well known in the UK and someone who we were head teachers in the same local authority in London for uh, for about a year. And then, or, or just maybe, I can't remember. <laughs> I was sort of new, so new to it and you'd been there for a while. But um, so we have lots in common <laughs> in that area. <laughs> yes. So Diana, welcome to our, our podcast. Oh, it's good to be here. I've been looking forward to this. So thank you for having me. So there's so much to talk to you about. I, I've been um, revisiting this book. I've, I've got, I'm going to show it on my phone for those of people who have the uh, the the, the YouTube, which is the Courageous Leadership, which I have on my phone on Kindle. <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I really love the whole style of it. I mean, there's a lot of, on my shelf here, kind of, let's be honest, some fairly dry leadership books <laughs> up here. Yeah. And I, and I honestly... Some of those, Tom, some of those are drier than a Rivita with a Campari chaser. <laughs> well, <laughs> Campari chaser, I love it. Rivita with a Campari chaser. <laughs> and, and you kind of, you sort of start it off by sort of saying, if you want a lot of leadership theory, well, Google it, because I'm not doing that. Stuff. Exactly. So, there's my get out cards, you know. I am not doing, I mean, I can do leadership theory, but who wants to? You know, so, no. just, when you're doing your master's, do it then. Other than that, I'm not doing it anymore. So you just sort of tell these stories of sort of, you know, you've got this lovely uh, set of seven sort mm. of statements. Courageous uh, statements, yeah. Yeah, courageous statements, and then, and and each one has this. It's also steeped in anecdote, and you like you you get this amazing sense of someone who's just being in there, in the thick of it, doing the job. <laughs> and so, what, what what's your response been to the book? What how you know have you had? Good oh, it's gone really well. I mean, I think it was first published in twenty eighteen, I think. And we're, we're looking at about 4,000, 5,000 copies so far. So in terms of volume of sales, it's gone really well. But I think it's just, people have just said, oh my God, how honest, how how refreshingly honest. I'm like, how this is how books should be, you know. Um, when I was head, the last thing I needed was someone to tell me, be confident. That is, it's going to be a useless statement. What do you mean? How do I do that? <laughs> when, when, you know, the most influential member of staff has just stood up in the middle of a meeting and said, I don't agree with you. So now what do I do with that sentence and be confident? <laughs> you know, because I know that right now they hold the power. The whole staff are now going to watch this play out between me and them. They don't agree with me. What are you going to do about it? And I've been head six weeks. Be confident. It's not going to help. Be resilient. Be an authentic leader. What do you mean by that? So that's why the book was, this is my version of be confident. (laughs) (laughs) You had this, I saw, I watched a video, which is on one of your, you know, a a quick clip of you doing some of your leadership stuff, which we'll talk about in a minute. But that's one of the things you say in there. You say, I love it. To me, this is classic you. It's just like you just spell it out straight away. So you say, let me tell you one thing. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> and, and I was like, and then you say what you mean is confident. You know, confidence is an outcome, not a not a feeling. Yeah. Confidence is not a feeling. And 
If you wait until you feel confident, one, you're going to miss the moment when you should have moved. And two, you're waiting for a feeling that will come and go, depending on what shoes you're wearing. Because I've got shoes that make me feel confident. I've got jackets and dresses that can make that feeling come about. Nothing to do with confidence whatsoever. That's just how I feel. But, you know, if my shoe heel breaks, that confidence feeling's gone out the window. So confidence is nothing about your feelings. It's about the actions you take prior to the day of battle, whatever that battle looks like. So if that battle is taking your driving tests, the fact that you rock up, I feel confident, it's got nothing to do with anything. Have you taken the appropriate action to the appropriate quality or depth, the appropriate number of times? If you have, then you can step into the stance of confidence. It's a place that you occupy. It's a stance. How you? I might feel dreadful because that morning my husband just walked out on me. But I know how to deal with this meeting because I've practiced this. I know what I'm doing. How I feel, it's got nothing to do with my confidence level. But when we conflate the two, we end up trying to do headship, trying to do leadership from this mythical place of confidence. We've been sold a lie. And I put it, <laughs> I'd say like, um, you know, in those adverts when you spray links after, you've done this, Tom, haven't you? You spray <laughs> links aftershave on yourself and you think all the women are going to come flocking, right? Because you now smell of like links Adonis, right? Because you smell so-and-so, so therefore you feel confident. If you've not had a bath that morning, what you've done of this is not going to help. You've not taken the appropriate action to the appropriate quality, to the appropriate amount of times. <laughs> Do you get me? So yeah. how you feel about your aftershave is not going to help you in terms of being confident. So that's just yeah. one of my things. When I say to people, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I, I love that, Daniel, because you say as well that confidence isn't something that you that you feel. It's something that you get from exactly. the it's experience. An it's so refreshing. Yes. It's an exchange. It's almost like you buy it. You have to exchange three things for confidence. The appropriate action to the appropriate depth or quality, the appropriate amount of times. If you get your side of the exchange right, you can have the stance of confidence and no one can tell you different. It's not about what you feel or, you know, well, so-and-so said I should be confident. So I, so I feel like I can do it. Those are feelings. They're valid. They have their place. But when it comes to leadership, I don't rely on my feelings. Otherwise, I will flop <laughs> because my feelings change depending on who's won the football that weekend. Well, one of the feelings that you, you you talk about a lot in in the in your book it certainly is is uh, this. Like, I love this this roar. You talk about having this roar, like, and how you need to <laughs> kind of man, how you kind of need to. Yeah, quite honest about a couple of times, sort of letting the roar out, like too soon or, or kind of nearly and then just saving it <laughs> but it's like so you're somebody who comes across even in your writing but certainly in person is it's like someone who's got like a, a raw like a, a massive mm. energy mm. and how how do you feel like because that there that tends to sort of project a kind of confidence but what you're saying seems to be saying is that you have to kind of work with that and use it more yeah. strategically yeah so that's my personality which works or doesn't work depending on what context. So there are some schools where I would make a mess of it. 
you know um there are other schools where I would be the hero it's that's my personality my confidence doesn't come in my personality I'm confident at school leadership because I have done the reading I have worked with some very difficult people I have worked with some phenomenal people I love young people and there's not much I wouldn't do to get a young person through the education system. So that's what makes my school leadership successful, the ability to work with, through others and by myself. The ability to remain human first, leader second. Those are the things where my, my school leadership ability comes from. But my confidence I have to work on that. I sound it. I look it. I'm six foot tall. When I walk into the room, people turn around. I can't help that. But honestly, when I used to go to some of those heads meetings, and you were there a couple of these, Tom, <laughs> where we'd, we'd have these, I mean, in Islington, where I was head, there were, I think there were 14 secondary schools at the time. And one of the things that we did was we had a good collegiate atmosphere with a good, um, you know, good rapport between the heads. And we had these, at least termly, might have been monthly, but these regular head teacher meetings. And my first one, I six foot tall or not, I walked in there feeling two foot tall. And I I almost had to, I always felt like I was to apologize for coming into this room. Because I felt like I didn't have the gravitas to sit at this table. And I sat down and I sat next to a fantastic head. Um, he was head of St. Aloysius, and I can't remember his name now. It was old anyway. This it was really old. Yeah, Tom, that was it. It was old, right? It was, but I mean, I mean it in a respectful way because he was wise. He was like an owl in a suit. He was so old, but so wise. And he goes, come and sit here. So I sat next to Tom. And literally, I just did what he did. I followed him. I just watched him and I listened to him. He was a wise old sage. But I, I felt almost apologetic for coming into this room and sitting with these people who knew how to run schools. And I was just learning. Yes, I was appointed head teacher, but I was at stage one and these guys were at stage 10, 11, 12, you know? Confidence, if I, if I went by my feelings, I would have left that room and never came back. But I began to read, network, listen, learn, make mistakes, mess up, come back, <laughs> and from just doing it over and over again and not giving up and listening to wise old people. Old people are good. They're very, very useful because they, they live life, you know. And yeah. when someone's lived life, sit at their feet and learn. That's what I did. <sighs> That's so interesting, Diane, because there's, there's such a race at the moment to get into leadership early. Um, and I don't know what your take is on that, but I, I totally agree with you that I learned my craft in headship from heads with lots of stripes down. Lots of stripes, yes. And there is, there's almost no replacement, is there, for just that length of service in leadership? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I did 10 years as a deputy, five key stage three, five key stage four, just at the chalk phase. I don't think I left school for any kind of CPD during those whole 10 years, we were just flat out trying to turn this, this big school around. And my head, who was a phenomenal guy, he, I mean, this was his maybe third headship or so. 
He was just one of those guys that grit their teeth and get it done. And I learned how to grit my teeth by watching how these things are done. And honestly, if I had done, I don't know, two or three years as deputy, then got my headship, I think I would have, my hair would have fell out. I would have had eczema. It would have been awful because you just, you just don't know enough. You haven't, you haven't been through enough. There's too much to trip you up. There's, a, there's too much you don't know yet. Mm. And when you've got young people's lives in your hands, the kind of headships that I do, where young people, if you don't turn this around, if you don't step into their life, they will lead a completely different existence if you don't get it right. So you haven't got enough time to keep on making mistakes. There are young people who are desperate for you to get it right for them. So, I think it's interesting you said, which really resonated with me, and it's like... It's one of the things I think I I got wrong. And you say this in your book, but it, it, about you you sort of were doing headship, kind of thinking you you didn't need much help, and you had this guy who who or, or, who, who supported you like once a term, mm. but you needed someone closer who you could. This is the key thing: mm. you could be totally honest with, yes. um, and talk and closer to to help you offload. And and yeah. I yeah. I think that's so important. And I feel like. You know, because you can offload on your at home, but you need that kind of neutral person who can just. <laughs> so what? So I, I'm so interested in that. Is that something you do for people now? Like, yes, is, in that role. Absolutely. I mean, I, I put it like this: my sister, my, my baby sister, she's a surgeon. She <laughs> wasn't allowed near a patient for surgery on her own for three years. I mean, you, you just you don't just go start cutting people without your <laughs> supervisor there. You know, so she had this supervisor. I mean, can you imagine what it there's a patient, there's a knife, off you go. You don't do that. Three years of supervision. You don't, you're not on your own. In headship, what do we do? Your deputy head, July, half term, you know, July ends. August comes, summer holidays, you're out, you know, in Ibiza doing whatever you do. September the first, here's the keys, there's the budget, there's the kids, off you go. And you can have no supervision whatsoever, but you've got young people's lives in your hands. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. So I, I mean, I've always advocated that heads should have access to two years of quality coaching for their first two, three years of headship outside of their organization. That half an hour keep in touch with me with the CEO, that's what I'm talking about. That's useful, has its place. But if I'm frustrated with my organisation, I can't talk to the CEO about that. Nor can I talk to the coach that they've appointed because they're going to go back and tell. I can't open up and say, I don't understand the school systems here. There is no way I'm going to admit that to a coach that is not completely neutral. So what do I do? I hold it in. I try my best. I keep going. And the frustration builds. It builds and it builds and it builds. You know what our job is like. It, there are other things that will come and frustrate you. So now I coach new heads, I coach heads, I coach senior teams. And you can be totally honest with me and I will be with you. It's a, When I say safe space, I'm not going to go back to any CEO and say, oh, by the way, they think you're a Muppet. I'm not going to say that, but it's true. You're a Muppet, you know? But what do you do when your CEO is a Muppet? And you're a new head. <laughs> Who do you talk to about that? Yeah. I work for Bozo. 
the clown, but he happens to be, or she happens to be the CEO. What do I do? Here's how to deal with the bozos of your life. So we talk, I coach. Coach, I help you find your inner answer. Mentoring, here's what to do. You choose what you want, but it's about holding your hand so you can ask me the silly questions. I rang up my HR department. They were fabulous in Islington. You could, I mean, I had her number. You could call her anytime. I rang her on a Sunday evening because I knew I wasn't going to sleep that night unless I had the answer to this question. Someone, member of staff's done something wrong. I'm not, I know I need to do something to them so I can investigate. What is that something called? Suspend, (laughs) Diana. (laughs) You want to suspend them? Yes, that's it. I want to suspend them. How do I do that? I mean, come on. If I don't have an answer to this kind of question, I will go in on Monday morning and make a HR mistake. You yes, know, so well, that's what a coach is for. You know what? One of the things I, I just think is amazing talking to you is, and, and re- reading your book as well, is you, you're kind of open about the fact that there are some conflicts and challenges in leadership. You get a lot of stuff where it's all as if you imagine leaders have this sort of just beautiful relationships with everybody all the time. <laughs> and then you, you talk about, like, for example, having to go through a redundancy process. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely appalling experience to mm. save budget. And people get angry and upset and mm. you have to deal mm. with it. And, yeah, there are some people you encounter who are not the, not the sweetest people to deal with. And I, I think there's an honesty there, which I feel like as a head, sometimes you're not allowed to admit it. Like, yeah. I've got yeah. some people in my school who are pretty toxic. How, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, it's not probably not the wisest thing to say it or to write the book whilst you're still the head of that school. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, because there's all sorts of, I don't know, confidentiality laws and stuff like that. But there are, this is where I, I say, with heads need that honest forum. I am dealing with some people, even if I gave them a million pounds, they would complain it's in small bills. <laughs> Why is it in 20s? I can't carry 20s. You should know. I mean, there's some people wake up miserable and get upset if they get happy. That's just how they are. But you've got to love the teams you've got. You've got to work with what you've got. You know, you, you've got to love who you have. And when I say love, that's a, that's a strong word to use in leadership, but I mean it because if it wasn't for love, I swear to some people, I would, have, I would have done them some damage because love holds you back sometimes, you know, because I love you, I'm actually going to walk away and let you say that, let you think that you've got that. I'm going to walk away because if I don't love you in this moment, I will hurt you. I will <laughs> roar at you. You know, that roar will come out. You know, but because I love you, I'm going to let you have that one. Yeah, go on. And you can take the biscuits on the way out because I saw you swiping my biscuits, my good biscuits. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're listening to Mind the Gap, presented by John Cat Educational. Over the past six decades, John Cat has supported teachers and school leaders with research based, easy to use professional development books for the entire faculty. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com in the United States or at johncatbookshop.com or elsewhere across the globe to find the latest titles. It's so true, though, and I, and I think that unless you've been ahead as well, 
You don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get how many people are bringing so many different things to the table that you're not allowed to talk about or you can talk about or you can yes. talk about this person, but not that person. And, this, and you take on the weight of everybody else's responsibilities in the school, which is a real privilege and, and can be a joy. But also you're just thinking, well, what am I meant to do with this? <laughs> And I was really lucky because I was a co-head. So at least we had, we got each other and we could show, yeah. what do we do now? But I think the the, um, the support and the advice and the guidance you provide is, is so necessary for, for leaders who as, as well might go into headship thinking all is rosy in the garden. Get yeah. in there and go, oh, yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 the second, you the second <laughs> advice that on this video I, I, i've been watching today where where the first one was about you know confidence is, is through actions the second one was you're not doing it by yourself and no that's dangerous oh gosh <laughs> that's that's bad but i was that's bad behavior you, sh- <laughs> you really shouldn't assume at all that you can run this organization by yourself um and and it's it's, it's, it's dangerous, again, because we go back, we've got young people's lives in our hands. Their futures depend on us being stable, <laughs> being normal, <laughs> not making a mess of it. And there, there's not, I mean, I think, when you think of um, like a great orator, let's think of Barack Obama, for example. You see him, he was leader of this phenomenal country. You know, leader of the free world, they used to call him, giving his speeches and what have you. And I say to people, don't get it twisted. Somebody wrote that speech for him. Somebody (laughs) dressed him. Someone did his makeup. Somebody drove him there. Somebody will drive. There's a whole team that run this. That's just his actual public appearances. Forget Congress and the whole teams that run the country. You see the figurehead, but he has put, there's this whole infrastructure that makes this work. If you don't build infrastructure, if you are not a master of building relationships, you are building a house on quicksand. And when it sinks, it will take the young people with it. And that's the thing that I really gets my goat. It will rob them of their livelihood, of their chances, because how many of us have the fortitude to repeat secondary school? It doesn't happen. If you're excluded from secondary school, you might, you might get another bite at the cherry, but generally you do it once. I'm talking secondary. Primary, you do it once. So if we don't get it right for our young people, we rob them. And because all young people go through school, we rob the nation of their next set of great citizens. That is criminal. So there's you trying to run a school by yourself. That that's just that's just naughty. And you shouldn't do it. <laughs> it's great. So oh, I, I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking. I want to go back in time and get have you coach me. <laughs> I want to go back in time and coach me because some of the mistakes I made, I'm I think, oh Diana, really? What were you thinking? It's it's cringe inducing. Well, look, I want to ask you about this thing. I I'm so fascinated by this. Um, 
you've got this, you've got lots of programs on on your website uh, and mm. greatest leadership programs. But one of them is um, you've got this Academy of Women's Leadership, which just sounds mm. so interesting. And one of the programs there is called the Makila Program. Mm. And I looked that up, in case, and it, it, it and you actually explain it in in the stuff around it. It means woman in yeah Hindi. in Hindi, and. So, so what, what's it? So, I, so I'm so here. I am, and I was a you know a head teacher and not a woman. <laughs> so, I'm thinking, so I'm interested in in the motivation. But is is there something that you feel like you you've met lots of women mm. who you support, and and this is a particular uh, sort yeah of, sort of it's one of those things because um I, I set, I mean I set up the Academy of Women's Leadership. I set that up during the second lockdown because you know I was bored and. Boris, we could only go out for an hour. So, you know, I was, I was in my, I was at home, you know, and I was just like, okay. I've been coaching women for a long time, but I found that I'm repeating myself because they were going through the same sort of issues, just in different contexts. Mm. So I thought there's got to be a way of coaching en masse, but it wasn't, it was more than coaching. There are things that you are not taught as a leader, but you're expected to know, to be a master of, and to be able to teach others. Things like which course, MA, MPQH, whatever, teaches you how to have difficult conversations. They say, you know, just grab the metal or just, you know, just be confident. Stop saying be confident. What do you mean by that? What do I say? What do I do when they get up and walk out my room? What do I do when they slam their hand on the table and and shout at me? How do I handle those difficult conversations? Now, everyone in leadership, male or female, you're going to come across those. But when you are a woman at the leadership table, there's a gap. And women will understand this gap. And men may have it too, but let me tell you about this gap. Your CV says you are competent. You've got your course, you've done this safeguarding, you've you've ticked all the boxes, MPQH, MA, CPD, done it all. So I am competent. My CV says I've done 15 years or 20 years of service. I can do this. My heart says otherwise. When I look at the application form or the person spec, a woman will look at it and she will go down and try and tick everything. And if there are two things on that person spec that she hasn't done or can't do, she's not applying. When I looked at my husband, I said, I just tested it out on him. Go through this. He's a teacher as well, an assistant head. 40%. He goes, yeah, I'd go for that job. I could wing the rest. 40% is about to wing it. I'm looking at 95% and I'm worried that I can't do 5%. So I'm going to even put an application in. And I, I began to think to myself, when you are leading as a woman at a top table, There's this gap between competence and confidence that's got to be closed. That's what the academy does. We teach you the stuff that's in that gap. The things that you don't learn on CPD courses elsewhere. There's no homework, reading, writing, whatever. It's just once a month, a Saturday morning, 12 modules. When you've gone through all three of them, one of the modules is called how to manage up. I call it how to manage your Muppet boss. <laughs> right? Who teaches you how to manage your boss as a muppet? How to manage in a crisis? It's all kicked off, right? 
You were expecting 39%. You got three or whatever. It's kicked off. What do you now do? Guess who wrote that module? Guess who teaches that one? That's my module. This is what you do when it's gone nuclear. Yeah. When you know these things, you've been taught how to handle leadership. You will apply for roles where you think, oh, before I couldn't apply, but now I will and I can. I'm not saying, and the the final one is about criticizing yourself. Women, we have this internal narrative. Oh, my bum looks big in trousers. Oh, I can't leave the house without makeup. Oh, I'm too short. Oh, I'm too fat. I'm too tall. I'm too... And it just goes on and on and on. It's a narrative that is just negative. But because it's in our voice, we live with it. We say sorry for things we haven't done. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I just say, I'm sorry. Have you got five minutes? We apologize for coming into the room. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you were in here. You haven't done anything wrong. Stop apologizing. Men don't do that. When I said to my husband, (laughs) talk to me about your internal narrative. He went, the football's on love. Honestly. (laughs) Champion League on, you know, what do you mean? Quick, you know, they're about to score. I said to him, he goes, I don't talk to myself like that. Why would I? Doesn't make any sense. You do know? you find it in your dealings? Because in some of your other coaching, you teach, you coach men as well, don't you? So do you find yeah. that actually in the difference when you're coaching? Oh, yeah. These, these differences are man, are manifest then. Yeah, I'm they thinking, do. I'm jealous. I'm thinking, I want to go on your course. And this is the thing, I would love... I would love to do a male academy <laughs> of male leadership, but <laughs> can't do that one. But see, the womanhood module, which is our anchor module, that's where we talk about how to manage your womanhood and to manage your leadership. And one of the key things I realized on this, and I'm going to share something with you now, was that this, there is no man on the planet that will understand what it feels like to miscarry on a Friday and be back at work on Monday, where your womanhood has failed you, but you walk in because you're the head teacher. And you walk in and you give assembly, you do the CPD, you know? When you have a failure or a difficulty in your womanhood, it, it gives you such a different take on your leadership. And it's very hard to get a man to understand that. And also it's hard for you to understand, how do I lead successfully and effectively and victoriously from this place? And you, yeah, you I know, think I, you have to be taught. It's not something that. I could relate to at all. In that it's not that, something you can that, relate that. to. But oh, I'm, I'm actually speechless because I'm, yeah. I know, I know this, Diana. You know these feelings. And that's I know thing. this. When you come back from miscarrying, when you come back from postpartum depression, when you come back into the room to lead the team that you know are undermining you and who say snide things like, oh God, is it time of the month again, love? Oh God, you're being a bit fanatical, aren't you there, darling? They would never say that to a bloke, never. 
because it just wouldn't it wouldn't be right <laughs> how do you lead successfully and flourish and love people from that stance that's what the academy teaches women to do it's i wish it wasn't necessary but it is and it's, it is it is indicative as well of the fact that we are a female dominated profession yet there are still so many gaps uh, that aren't filled by women where exactly. it's full of women and that the teacher tap survey where it asked people where do you see yourself in the next five to ten years the gap between where women saw themselves in five to ten years and where men saw themselves in five to ten years in terms of uh, the, the position of seniority was so stark it was stark. so yes there are you know there are as many differences between women as potentially there are between men and women but mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is that the difference is there and unless people are providing the support and the challenge and the motivation to try and yeah. close that gap then it won't close itself will it, it will, that's the thing we have left it alone for a bit and it's not closing itself mm-hmm. and when I was I was um working with some organisations and talk, I said to them, tell me about your gender pay gap. Uh, you know what? The, why is it there? Why do you have one? This is ridiculous. I, I, I got really upset. You know, I'm like, and they're like, oh, well, uh, we're working through it. That's a load of rubbish. There's the post. Pay them equally. What's your problem? Because if you don't be intentional, if you're not intentional, these gaps remain, they just widen. Mm. We see it with our young people. For some reason, if you have that free school meals thing in your life, like I had when I was a young person, if you're not careful, you'll end up in set five or whatever. If you're not careful, if you're a white working class boy, there's something that will... And we've got to intentionally close these gaps. The same thing with female leadership. The same thing with any group of people where there's a gap. And I say this, diversity is your advantage. It's not your tick box. It's not your, oh God, we've got to comply. Right, quick, find a black person. Oh no, we ain't got nobody with one leg. Oh no, there's no one disabled. No, if when you pursue diversity in all its forms around your leadership table, you bring advantage to your organization. You do, you do. But then we don't do diversity and we're not silly about it. I don't want to fill the table with people who can't do the job, but because they tick all the boxes. So therefore, you need to have this equity thing going on. Some people need a taller box to see over the fence. Some people don't need a box. They can see over the fence. They're six foot like me. You know? But when you... Because you you can do so many things. uh, It's hard to keep track of you. I've got a stream on at some stage. I know know it's one of the the things that you do is to uh, sort of give advice to schools about their diversity, inclusion, and... I guess that's to do with student issues, but also recruitment and other things. What, what, I mean, what sorts of challenges are people reporting to you? What, what, where do they find it hard? Some schools or some, some organisations are still saying, we don't know. We always get the same kind of applicant. We don't get diverse fields to recruit from. And I say to them, be intentional. Yeah. If you're always shopping Tesco's, you're not going to know what, you know, those proper cheeses taste like because they've got Tesco cheese. You've got to go to Waitrose, haven't you? Now, there's no Waitrose in your town. You've got to move. Do you see what I'm saying? If, if you always advertise in the same place with the same language, 
the same keywords, wanted, dynamic, outstanding, vibrant, wonderful person to come and work at our school. Wanted, hardworking person. Is that you? You know, if you don't diversify your intention, you're going to get the same results. Of course you are. So people say we don't have a diverse field. That's because you're not intentional about your advertising. And I, I see this in the flex space, Diana, because people, especially in the very senior roles, are still slow to embrace flex working. Yes. And so if you don't offer different ways in which to work, you're only going to have certain people in certain, with certain life stages or life, um, you. you know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Actually, working in that role, you know, if you don't offer different ways of working, you're only going to get one sort of person who's able to work in that role. In that way, exactly. That. And what do you do? You design out diversity, and you are designing out advantage. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to not have a diverse team in all its forms. It doesn't make sense, you know. And but. That takes effort. Oh, but we're busy. And okay, I tell you what, let's have one person in charge of that. So, we, you know, you do diversity, you be the EDI person, right? <laughs> and so we can get on with our job. No, I'm asking you to consider your culture. Culture is defined simply as how you behave when no one's looking, there's no accountability coming your way. What is the default behavior of your organization? So you talk to me about inclusion. You talk to me about we're one big family. Yeah, okay. Let me just point out a couple of things to you. You're still a family now? Oh, <laughs> I'm not an EDI expert. Oh, there are people there who've been working in this field before it was fashionable. 20 years serving hard in this field. I'm just a woman that sees things and says it as it is. I think it's a classic sort of misconception or kind of mistake that people think that it's a it, that that the, the you know EDI agenda or whatever diversity in, in recruitment is different from recruiting the best people on the day kind of psychology. So people say, well, if the best people are not diverse, what do I do? And it's like, you know, and that's use that kind of rationale time after time after time, mm. and as a without doing the hard work. But yeah. I, I think some people in some areas, especially you know, when I go to different places around the country, it's like. It depends on the on on the you know diversity in the population and mm. and people's association with schools. There are some schools which even in an area have much more diverse um, staff bodies than others because people recognise it a place where they're going to be feel like they belong and so on. And other places they feel like they won't belong. And it's it's you've got to start, haven't you? You've got to you've got to you, work you've got to make it. a start and you've got to be committed. And it is. And I say to them, are you ready for a ten year journey? You know. Most people don't think in that in terms of that kind of longevity. This is not a one-year school action plan. You know, we're talking about building a culture over the next decade. Are you ready for that? You won't be here when the fruition of this really comes to pass. You'll be long gone. You'll be in another headship by then. But are you ready to lay the foundations so that in 10 years' time, when those year sevens come in, this place will be unrecognisable? That's mm. what we're building here. We're building the future Oh, now, now, oh, you're being a bit fanatical, Diana. <laughs> you're going a bit far, love. <laughs> it's not, though, it's, it's building legacy, isn't it? It is. Before you've left. 
Build your legacy before you leave. <laughs> lay the foundation of your legacy before you leave, and then you can write the book afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's no, really- it's like it's it's there's there's so many things that you're dealing with. You must have such a like now. I mean, if you you probably because your your book previously was based on well your personal experience of leadership, mm. but having coached all these people and all the stories they must tell you, there must be so many um, like incredible challenges and insights that you're gaining just from hearing how they're, yeah. they're doing. Are, yeah. are there some common issues that people come to you with where? Or, or just even some things that stick out to you, which you think, wow, that, that's a real tough crack not to crack. Yeah, I think the, the ones that are difficult are when a, um, a coachee will have a toxic boss. And that's difficult because the job is difficult in itself, but there's always solutions in the job. You can always find answers. But when your boss has their own issues going on, because that's where toxicity comes from. I have my own internal securities or insecurities and my own issues, and I visit them upon people at work. When that's happening, that's difficult for my coaches to, to deal with, you know, and because now you have to make a decision. You are, it is, it's unlikely, unlikely that you're going to say something that will make that person think, oh, you know what, you are right. I am a right cow. No, I'm going to change my ways. That is so unlikely. You're asking them to make a life-changing decision based on your one-hour coach with me, not going to happen. So when you're faced with that kind of situation now where you've got a boss who is toxic, not just difficult or stubborn, you know, but um, a toxic muppet, that's really hard. So now you decide, and I say to them, okay, how long are you going to put up with this? Do you got a decision to make for yourself? I will tolerate this toxicity in my life for one more academic year, two more academic, whatever. How, you, you put a period, you decide. How long will you allow this to be part of your life? You don't have to serve here. There are young people all over the country, all over the world, who are desperate for your leadership, serve elsewhere. Do, don't martyr yourself to this person and become a notch on their bedpost of another person that was ruined. We lose good people. We hemorrhage good people from our profession because we allow toxic people to be their boss. We allow it. We allow it. And that is, that, that's, that's, a, that's naughty behavior again. <laughs> yeah. So I say to people, serve elsewhere, serve elsewhere. Oh, there's there are a lot of brilliant leaders out there, but there are definitely some toxic bad apples. As well. yeah. Let's just call them that, shall we? Toxic bad apples. And you know who you are, you toxic bad apple. You. I think if you you there looking at me, even if we didn't recognize that description of themselves it's the fact that someone thinks they are you know it's like it doesn't even matter if it's true in that sense it's just how that person feel, perceives the situation they're in so yeah and, and I think that's fair isn't it like if you feel like I mean you could have a conversation with the other person on the other side of, of that claim and and yeah that's it and that's why I say serve elsewhere how their leadership lands with you if it is hindering your greatness you could be a phenomenal deputy or a phenomenal head, 
but that person is actually hindering your greatness, then serve elsewhere. Don't wait until it's so bad that you leave the profession. We need you. We need you. The young people need you. You know, and people will stay in a role for silly reasons. Oh, well, you know, I've just I've just started here. Move. (laughs) Move. You know, I, I mean, I'm on this proverbial diet. I've been on a diet for about 40 years now. (laughs) <laughs> and, I'm, and now I'm like, you know what? I am not going to eat this food if it doesn't taste good. I'm not going to waste my calorie count. The fact that I've started eating it doesn't mean I've got to finish it. I don't like it. I'm not eating it. You know, you've I just come I, move. Go elsewhere. I think it's, it's so refreshing, honestly. It's just sometimes you just have to call it out and, and you can't always, you know, nicely, nicely solve all the issues. Sometimes these big calls have to be made. Yeah. I, I'm conscious that we're, we're going to run out of time soon. So I, w- I wanted to, 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 to share this because to me, when I came across this page, which is, I, I managed to photo, to, to um, screenshot, screenshot it. Screenshot it, yeah. It's halfway through the book. And, and I love this because it's so funny because you're sort of sort of saying, um, just checking in. Like you sort of check in with your readers to see, have you got, <laughs> have you, are you understanding what I'm saying so far? And, and this is what it says. It says, okay, so the courageous leaders are not superheroes strutting around with their pants on outside of their trousers. They are quietly resilient. They are masters at building relationships. They are advocates for those with small voices. They are lovers of justice. They are pursuers of the potential in others. They are not afraid to cry, but steadfast in their resolve. Just checking we're on the same page. <laughs> I just think, yeah, that is just, that is just so awesome. Because I was thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you now. Because that that is... That's the message you're giving people. It's, yes. it's it's really like from the heart, but really is located in a kind of place of, I don't know, it, it, yeah. it, deep experience. And I, I say to people, you don't have to be like me to take the title of being a courageous leader. You'd have to be six foot tall and you know confident in your in your in your output. Some of the most courageous people just speak rarely, but when they do, the whole room stops listens because their words carry such weight and value when they contribute it changes your life they might contribute just once in the entire cpd meeting but when they do something triggers and it changes everything so they are just resilient they don't go away they don't go away they they change lives they they change lives one at a time ten at a time but they they know who they are. I've, I'm yet to find someone who can change my mind about who I am. I know who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm not still trying to find myself. I've done that work. So now I can be secure and lead schools and coach others and advise others. If I'm still trying to find myself, I've not finished yet. You know, I'm not, I am still learning. Oh God, yeah, I'm still learning. I'm still growing, but I know what Diana Osaga's purpose is on this planet. I'm, 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 I'm not shaky in that line. I've got clarity about myself. And so there are things I don't do. I don't write the timetable. That's not part of my purpose. I ain't doing it. You know, I don't do data. No. <laughs> but there are things I do. I do leadership. That's what I do. You know, when you find your lane, courage just comes because you know what you're for. 
Uh, so inspiring, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I can see you there. You, you, you were talking about Diana before, but it's amazing listening, isn't it? <laughs> I've been desperate to get you on here, Diana, because you have so many absolute gem bombs, you know, Thank you. wisdom tonight. It's been absolutely delightful. And I, I, I wish that, well, I hope that everybody who can signs up to your academy because... Oh, I'd love them to. They're all well... We've only had 45 minutes. I feel like, well, I'm going to go out and conquer the world now, to be perfectly honest. Good, good. So we're well, that's what I want. Go and conquer the world. Absolutely. It's my, it's my job to, to bring things to a close, but it's, it's <laughs> honestly, a, it's a real honour to, to have spoken to you this, this evening. And I hope everyone listening and uh, really has enjoyed that. And Greatest Leadership is a fantastic website. There's loads of stuff on there. Mm-hmm. And brilliant to follow Diana Asagi on Twitter. And just if you're a head teacher, I mean, and you and you need that person to speak to, I can't believe a better person <laughs> to get on your side. Oh, you know. Jump into my DMs. I always say just slide into my DMs. Don't tell no one. I'll be your secret ninja. They'll think you've been on a course. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dinah. And thanks again to everyone listening to Mind the Gap. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Uh, we've had some fantastic guests recently. This has been a real special episode. And we're looking forward to more coming. So thank you for listening from me, Tom Sherrington and Emma Turner. Thanks and goodbye. Thanks for listening to Mind the Gap. We hope you enjoyed hearing what's on our minds today. For much more great content, make sure to check out the video version of our show, which includes additional segments and features. Visit edcircuit.com or go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, Mind the Gap with Tom and Emma. See you next time.